All right, great to be back. How are you doing today, Scott? Doing very well. Back from a week of vacation and spent some time at the Keystone Retreat out in Texas and got the new Casago Del Mar sign behind me. Steve Schwab's wife, Caroline, put that together for us. So feeling good. Sorry we missed each other in North Myrtle Beach, Conrad. I always enjoy being down there. And uh, it's Memorial Day weekend, so it's about to uh, be season around here. So pretty excited and looking forward to this conversation as well. Yeah, for sure. Bummer we didn't connect. You'll have to, next time you come down, we'll definitely make it happen. So good to hear that you had pretty good weather while you were here early on in the week, and then it went the other way later in the week. But that's how it's been here at the beach for, beach recently. But Adam, things good up there. How are you doing? Yeah, I'll echo that weather comment. It seems like maybe we had a mild winter and now we're paying for it in the spring. We got Memorial Day weekend. It's like 60s and rainy all weekend, unfortunately. But it is, it is exciting to get to Memorial Day weekend. It's that unofficial start to the vacation rental and summer season. So looking forward to this one, but I will echo Scott's point there around the Keystone retreats. It was a really great experience. Uh, the ranch in Texas was fantastic. The overall experience, I think, is something special that's building in the vacation rental space. We talk about the changes that are on the horizon quite a bit, and I think that the Keystone Retreats will be one of the catalysts to help push the right changes in the right directions. I think it's a great group of people. Huge kudos to Matt and Steve Schwab for putting it together. But I think that there's some really good interactions between, between the people that come there, whether they're managers or vendors. In our case, we, it was a whole group of vendors getting together, talking about the industry. So there are strong relationships that are being built. There are also some really individual and internal discussions and thought processes that happen at the retreat. And then more than that, it's the discussion about where the industry is going and where we're trying to drive it. So I'm really excited about those retreats. And as a little teaser, that means that Matt Landau is coming up on an episode here very soon. So within the next couple of episodes, we'll have one with Matt where he can sit down and, and talk with us about the Keystone retreats. But as for this week, I think it's very fitting that we're recording this on Memorial Day weekend. We're going to talk about operations today. We're going to continue those discussions we started a couple of weeks ago with Jeremy from Breezeway, and our thought process was, let's start to talk about operations on the show as we get into the summer and as people start to really get in the thick of the need to think about operations and where they might be able to improve. And I can't think of two better people to be talking about housekeeping and operations than our two guests this week. So very excited for this one. But Conrad, I'll let you do the quick intros. Yeah, phenomenal. No, I'm excited to learn more about that. But for today, let's let's send it over Dirk's way. So Dirk, thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Would love to get just a little background of you and your start in the industry. And then also, if you could tell us a song that describes you. Yeah, song piece. Yes, yes. So I started in my back of house. So I've done hospitality almost all my career. Vacation rental started on October 1st of 2001 in Park City, Utah. That's when I became the assistant director of housekeeping for Deer Valley Lodging. And after one day on the job, I would have changed every single housekeeping department that I had managed previous to that. The principles and the techniques were so powerful and so universal. I was just astounded. And who, I, if you'd asked me if on the playground as a little boy, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would have never said a professional cleaner, right? It was always a fireman, a police officer or something of that nature. And here I am cleaning up other people's messes and finding innovative and curious ways to talk about principles and to help us be better at the craft we do. I've been fortunate enough to travel and to teach and present and to do what I love, which is help people be best at what they do. As far as the song, I don't know. I really don't. I don't know. what. I can't think of a song that best, best describes me. I would have to leave that to Sean or to Adam or to somebody else who knows me best. If my wife were on, I'm sure she'd have one like that and say, here you go. But 
here we are. <laughs> yeah. So you're just too unique then. Hey, I'll take that one. Yeah. I even wear a, a poop emoji hat from time to time. I can't be, <laughs> nice. can't be all bad. <laughs> what, are, what are a couple songs that you really, so we can add to the playlist? Sure. Foreigner, Guitar Hero, and uh, The Who, Pinball Wizard. Love the storylines in those songs. Tapao, Heart and Soul would be another good one. And uh, Phil Collins in the air tonight would also. We might have to add all those because I'm a big fan of all of them. But I'm going to select Pinball Wizard as your song that would best describe you from that selection. Just because that I think in your profession, in operations and housekeeping, I think it definitely feels like a pinball game on these busy weekends when we're heading. I'll take that. I'll take that. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the other note before we jump over to Sean, I really like that you use the word craft when you think about what it is that we're doing out in the field. I think it's an art. And I think that using that word is a nice way to think about it. Oh, thank you. For sure. Then let's go Sean's direction. Sean, similar questions. would love to hear your background in the industry, how you got started. Quick summary there. And then also a song that describes you as well. Awesome. Appreciate it, guys. Jeez, my background. I started out with, as far as chemicals, with Ecolab. One of my first jobs out of college was living down in New Orleans. And basically, I would train and educate all the franchise owners of McDonald's, Burger King's. And I would teach all those guys how to properly clean with the chemicals we manufactured. Got moved up to Chicago as a DM. And then Got a phone call from my dad, who we own a chemical company down here in South Alabama, and really never thought I was going to come back down to the family business. But here I am 20 20 years later, and I got into this industry probably 24, 2004, and was more involved with VRHP, Vacation Rental Housekeeping Professionals, and working with those guys. But definitely picking up distributors of the products that we make and sell to local distributors that in turn sell to the vacation rental space. And I just fell in love with it ever since and just met Dirk several years ago down here when he was with Meyer Property. And we've always collaborated and worked with each other on chemicals and cleaning aspects. And I guess to go to my song, I thought long and hard about this one as Dirk was talking. I'm just a Southern jam band, rockabilly music guy, but a group that I've really been listening to a lot lately is Camp. It's a C-A-A-M-P and it's the song I love lately is just See the World. Right on. Gotcha. I'm not familiar with that one, but uh, yeah, our official Spotify curist playlist curator will get that buttoned up. I'm sure if they're on Spotify. So the camp is definitely on Spotify. Camp camp is a big one. That's a great selection, Sean. Yeah. I finally got tickets to a show in November up in Nashville at the Rhino. Oh, nice. That'll be a good one. Nice. Nice. As as we get in here, I'm just curious about the background there, Sean. So you mentioned that your dad was already in chemicals. What kind of chemicals? Unrelated to cleaning or was it closely related? He, uh, he did a lot of raw materials, bulk truckloads, uh, barge loads of, of just raw materials. But when he bought the company, it was called CCI, Central Chemicals Incorporated. And he brought my brother down there with them. There was a manufacturing side where they did do some cleaning industrial type products for the some of the paper mill plants and some of the heavy duty industrial over here. So this is an area, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I think it's an area of the industry that's a little bit of a gap as well. I don't think that we understand the chemical side of this process nearly well enough. And I think that there's definitely a safety element to that. So before we get too far in the weeds, I'm definitely looking for your input on the chemical side of things and some of those pieces. But Conrad, maybe we start a little bit more high level and and just get some operational and housekeeping discussions out of the way before we get too far into that. Yeah, well, for before, sure. Before Conrad goes, I would Go add ahead. to what you just said, Adam, in that we don't understand how the product works. You yeah. think of what we just went through with COVID, or you think of how we to break down soap scum or body oils. 
Sean has the knowledge to help us do that so we can make the cleaning, the cleaning professionals job easier. That's yeah. really the purpose of the product. It's not to add more elbow grease and more scrubbing. It's about how do we make this easy and simple? And that's the beautiful thing. So I agree. We don't understand it. We don't know what it is. We don't understand the safety data sheets. And Sean brings that, that, that knowledge and that opportunity for us to be able to operate and work in a more effective and efficient manner. I yeah. agree. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to <clears throat> coming back to you, Sean, here in a second, for sure, to go through some of the individual elements of what makes that successful. But uh, yeah, maybe going back your way, Dirk, the outline that we have here, the, my first question, I guess, just more is where do you rate, I guess, the housekeeping piece of the puzzle here as it comes to like overall short-term rental operations? Is it the most important thing? Like wh when you're talking to a company and you're saying, here's how you need to set up your program, what are some of the things that you say in terms of importance with this program? Is it How do you structure that? It's a good question. And it's a tough question because if a reservation's not made, then there's not a stay to be cleaned. And if the stay isn't cleaned well, then there's not a next reservation to be made. We've got to have this balance as we go forward. For sure, you know, you look at the cleaning professionals and being able to help them clean effectively and appropriately. Ultimately, the guest sees the work they do the most from the moment they check in until the moment they depart. That's what they see. When housekeeping goes well, everything else goes well. If there's a mess up from or a shortfall from the cleaning standpoint, then there's a call to the front desk. There's a call to the reservationist. There's you know, all this effort that now has to go in to, to recoup and, and make the reservation right. The, it's super, super important. The training, the perception they have of the work they do, how they see themselves. They the cleaners need to see themselves as an integral part of the operation. They need to see themselves as an integral part of the memories that are made. Scott was in Myrtle Beach, North Myrtle Beach and having a great time, probably never saw the cleaning professional, probably never said hello to them. And yet he had a great time and the cleaner is an integral part of that. And so helping them see that perspective and then be able to act according to that. And then we as managers have to see them as, as professionals. Do we dress them appropriately, assuming they're employees? Do we provide them good tools, assuming they're employees? All those things go with that. How, how do we help accomplish that? So I'm curious on, on two pieces there, Dirk. You mentioned something about employees, and I want to get back to that because I do think that's an important part of this industry, the distinction with employees versus contractors and what rules are in place and what you can do with that. But before you dive into that, maybe this can be part of your answer as well is, it's curious to me that you say that the cleaners need to recognize their importance. Do you get the sense that the housekeeping staff doesn't recognize it or that we as managers aren't helping them understand the importance that they play in this process? Because I agree with you. I think that if you get housekeeping right, almost everything else goes right. If you get housekeeping wrong, almost everything else goes wrong. So it's both. It's the cleaner as well as the management and the manager or the leader. Because again, you think you've, my comment when we opened was on the playground, so we don't dream of being a cleaning professional. We dream of other aspirations, and yet some of us fall into it by happen chance, which is what mine is. And some of some individuals choose it because they feel that that's all they can do and that's all they can provide. Mm -hmm. And so, helping the individual see that they are of value and that the work they do is of value, and helping them have that positive self-image and that positive self-talk of, "I'm a cleaning professional." 
I go clean up other people's messes. I'm excited to do this. I provide for my family. You know, there are some companies that have a 401k in retirement and mine is one of those. The owner has decided to do that. And so we're able to take these individuals and say, look, you're a value. And so how do we help them rewrite that, that internal dialogue that I do good work and all the terrible things that have been said to me in the past aren't true because I can do good work. Yeah, I, so this goes back to our, a book that we've been talking about, and we are building some premises off this called Unreasonable Hospitality. Mm, and yeah. I can understand why people might get that sense of, oh, I'm going in and clean up, cleaning up after somebody. But that book really solidified for me that there's a lot of nobility in service, in, in any totally. sort of service. And especially in this totally. industry, there's just a lot of nobility. And I think that we as an industry need to reinforce that and recognize that these guests are coming for some of their most important life moments and where to help them do that. Absolutely. I remember specifically in even today for Memorial Day weekend here at, at Seabrook, we have families that are checking one particular family that's checking in that the grandma has never been to the beach, always wanted to go to the beach. And this is her only chance to come to the beach. Wow. And so here we get to be a part of that. You think of honeymoons, anniversaries, all those things. And yet, we have been personally invited to be a part of that. I agree that there's a business aspect of it. And I agree that all that has to happen and all that functionality. At the same time, there's a human side and a personal touch. How do we embrace that? And how do we do that? Isn't that what we remember? We don't remember in 10 years, wow, I saved 50%. <laughs> remember I, how that individual took care of me. I was having a really hard time. And the checkout person came in and saved me and just, I will always shop there now because of what that person did. It's a service. And yet it gets looked down on and literally, right, poo-pooed because of, it's not this grand and glorious thing that we think it is. And yet we do it every day and we interact with it every day. Because of the type of client that I work with, Dirk, sometimes I get to deal with both the individual property host, like the owner, and then of course, property managers and things like that are obviously more of our clients. And I will say this, when a property host who's actually dealing one-on-one -on -one with their housekeeping professional on a daily, weekly basis finds a good one, they are loyal as heck to that person, right? Because they uh, know, they know, especially if they're a remote host, if they're based in Massachusetts and their properties in South Carolina, they know that person is liter literally the lifeline and the actual Indeed. thing that matters. So if you talk to a host that's been doing this game for a little while, not someone who's a month in, but someone who's five years in or 10 years in, they treat that housekeeping professional like gold and give them bonuses and say, oh yeah, you can go tomorrow as opposed to today. I don't have a booking. They treat them the right way. And I think Absolutely. sometimes with the property management outfits that I've seen, it is seen as more of a, a number in a spreadsheet is the way that I sometimes perceive it. Oh, the cleaning cost is X and that is what it is. And we have to pay that. And there's not always that same connection because it's a sometimes a collection of contractors or it's a collection of outsourced companies that are actually doing that kind of work. So uh, that leads me to my next question, which is that how have things changed over the years? We've talked in the show about the, the kind of 2019ers or the people that have come in over the past few years, but what's your perspective of what has changed operationally cleaning wise from maybe we do like when you got started in the industry, pre-COVID to now today in a COVID, post-COVID world? So whether, so from when I started to pre-COVID and then COVID to now, people value the cleaning profession. They value the people that are coming in. You think of, I think of right at the beginning when COVID was happening, we were shut down and then we were opening back up. And here we had people, individuals, when we didn't know much about it, who were willing to go into a property and clean it. Not if, if, 
if I touched the surface or if it was airborne. We knew some of those things, but we didn't know to what extent. And so here we were here cleaning all of a sudden came to the forefront. And so to me, that that's one of the key pieces is now we've, they've been able to show their value and that I can get this done and I'm willing to do this. And so to me, there, there's an opportunity here for the cleaning professionals and for us as property managers to talk about what we do with them and how we help them and how they are willing to do some of these things that normally wouldn't get done, especially after COVID. And now, you know, what's next? Is it monkeypox? Is it something else? How do we help the cleaning professionals be prepared for that? So that would be the biggest thing I would take away is that we're more in the forefront than we were. Now we're starting to slide back a little bit, go back to the old pattern of things, because that's what we do as humans without a huge push. And it would be, let's keep them to the forefront. Yeah. Let's keep them up front. Let's celebrate what they do. I feel like certainly the chief thing that I heard over that time period was one about labor and stuff like that. So maybe Scott, I'll go your direction here as someone who likes to call himself the operational grunt. I don't call you that, but you call yourself that. So what's your perspective when you were dealing with that over the past few years? Was it was the labor and the housekeeping piece something that you guys really struggle with? Or what was your experience of that and how it relates to housekeeping and cleaning? Yeah. It, so I, I think it goes to what you comment said, Conrad, our secret sauce, if you will, is when you find someone, you take very good care of them, mm -hmm. right? Because we, you have markets where you start churning cleaners and it does become a problem, right? And I think Adam said, when it's bad, everything's bad. When it's good, then typically everything follows. I was spot on when Adam was talking, I was going right where he was with a twist. When we talk about unreasonable hospitality, one of the things that I've been stuck on is the precarious moment, right? In our precarious moment with that guest, like Dur saying, isn't when they pay the $5,000 or whatever it is to book, that's the exciting moment. The precarious moment comes when they click that lock and they open up Locking that door for the first time. Yeah. That's the moment. I will tell you, this probably is where Sean fits in. One of the things we faced during COVID, if we had the right people in place, is what solutions are we using to clean? Now, now we've said chemicals here a couple of times. From my old cleaning days when I was running the cleaning company over here, we stopped saying chemicals because it was a scary thing. But to that point, I think it became okay to say chemicals and probably preferred during COVID, right? Because people wanted to feel like there's something strong happening, right? So I think we got away from cleaning products to, oh, we're using chemicals to clean your unit. But that was the difference from then and now. Sean, I don't know how you feel about the same and what you've got, but that scrutiny from COVID, Conrad, once you got past people, I think it came to what products are we're using. Yeah. I'm, re I'm reminded of, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the joke where it's 65% of people, once they learn about all the negative effects of dihydrogen monoxide, they try to ban it. And of course, dihydrogen monoxide is water, but like people drown in this substance. It's available in every tap and stuff like that. So yeah, words and copy actually is something that I maybe can relate to a little bit more. Can't say I understand the chemical piece at all, but maybe shall we bring you in then? What's a change that you've seen during this process, this kind of, again, pre-COVID to post-COVID world from that, from the solution or chemical or however you term it side of things? Yeah, I mean, for the industry, obviously, like Dirk was saying, it was a scary time because I was training and educating and VRHP, we worked together to try to make some processes and how to help everybody. You didn't know what you were doing when I was suiting up with a full tieback suit at one time where looking like a mold and mildew restoration guy or even some kind of crazy space guy. But you didn't know you're scared. They were talking about you get it through your eyes and everything. So during that whole time, my job, I was just frantically researching and talking to new people because there were so many chemi chemicals that were coming out. The chemistry 
it was evolving and there was some scary stuff out there and claims that they were saying we can kill everything for 30, 60, 90 days. And I'm like, no, you can't. EPA has not approved any of these type products. So it was scary what people were trying and they were trying the right things, but they didn't know enough about the chemistry and it wasn't really doing what it said it was doing. So it was a wild west time. You were trying to, we brought electrostatic technology guns to the market to help people spray the disinfectants more evenly. We made sure the disinfectants that we had was killing COVID. You got to look at the dwell time. There's so much going on with the chemistry that we had to make sure we were sharp, we were on, and we were doing what we were supposed to be doing. Yeah. Maybe we turn the page a little bit then. It's still on that same thread, but Derek, I'll go back your direction. As you talk with companies today or as you interface with different people today, what do you think the vacation rental manager is doing right today? And what do you think some things that they're not doing right or they're not doing optimally when you talk to the average company out there that's in the management side of things? So what they're doing, what they're doing right, I would say that they're making an effort to treat the cleaning professionals correctly and equitably. I think that they're making an effort to find the best people that can do the work that they can. And I think that they're making an effort to present to the homeowners how well they're taking care of their property and their systems and procedures to do that. An area where they could improve would certainly be on the chemistry side that Sean's talked about. And then also how we pay our cleaners. Are we paying by the property or paying by the hour? What are we doing to make sure that that we're able to position them in a piece or in an area of success and then be able to help them see that the work they do is of value. That, that's how I would respond to that. Maybe we dig in there just a little bit, Dirk, and, and this will lead into Sean a little bit too, because I'm curious about what chemicals are still being used during those early COVID days and what has actually continued on, on to today. I'm curious about two things. One, you mentioned payment. I'm curious if you think there is a good structure for payment and how companies can implement that. But I'm also go back to that earlier question about contractors versus employees. And how does that impact things? If you've got a contractor versus an employee, can you even tell them what chemicals to how does how does that world work? So you got you've got three things there. So one, to me, I believe the best way to pay a cleaning professionals by the property they clean, not by the hour, has a very specific location and purpose. To your question about employees versus contractors. Both have their place. If you're a small property manager, then a contractor is a great decision. If you're a large property manager, then employees needs to be evaluated to say, do I want to do this or do I not want to do this? And what are the decisions that go into that? And then to your third one, which is chemistry, I see a lot of bleach still being used. Mm. A lot of bleach. And bleach has its place. However, the way it's being used, I would disagree and advocate that it shouldn't be used. Sean, that's completely new to me. So I'm definitely curious about your input there, Sean. So what's, what's the drawback of bleach and what's it for and when should it be used? Um, Bleach is cheap and it's one thing. I mean, it is so old school bleach and pine saw, like what our grandmas used. (laughs) Don't mix up bleach. Bleach (laughs) Kill mold and mildew. It makes it disappear. And I know Dirk and I, we talked to a blue in the face about this. But even with EPA registration, when because I'm down here in Hurricane Alley, EPA, they do not want you using bleach because it basically bleaches the flower, but you're not getting into the root of the problem to totally eradicate it. So bleach is just a simple cover-up. It ruins clothes. It ruins carpets. It's so corrosive. It's got a pH of 13. We try to always push in a good registered disinfectant, our safer chemistry, peroxide technologies. We just try to, we always try to get everybody away from bleach. There's so much better products out there. Products that break down soap scum, break down body oils, so you don't have to scrub. 
Exactly. It's just, however, people walk in a public restroom and they smell bleach and they say it's clean. <laughs> Dead, but it may not be clean. Do you think that the industry knows about these options? Is one of the challenges that we're faced with is a lack of cha- a lack of training or maybe just a lack of knowledge? How do we get this knowledge out there? Sean? It's lack of knowledge. I had the opportunity to present last year at the VRMA in Vegas, and I did a session called The Art of Clean. And so what I did was basically break down chemistry. Let me really get nerdy with it. Let's talk about surfactants and emulsions and why would the products we have do what they do, the difference between acids and alkalines and why we choose them. So I just really totally got really deep down into the chemistry and then would start talking about why you use this type of product to clean this surface. So it's education. That's it. And there's so much turnover in this industry too. Just constantly going with different property management companies and vacation rental companies, seeing different housekeepers almost every year. It's tough to keep up with. Training is huge. And then you build on that for just a second, if I may. And then you have cleaners or when you're at home. Grandma or great-grandma used to get a couple of products and mix them together, and they came up with grandma's secret cleaning sauce, and they would go out and clean. In your home, that's fine, but when you transition to Sean's world of, now I'm a professional cleaner, that doesn't work because I have to have a safety data sheet, and we all know that if we mix ammonia and bleach that we get chlorine gas, which we all, which is deadly. And so there, there has to be this transition when we go to a professional side of engaging someone like Sean and grading that, that expertise so we can have the right information that we need. Do you think it's a question of also like responsibility? Do you think a lot of companies, you know, from my commentary earlier, where they defer it or give it down to a contracted out company, and then they might say, oh, that's your responsibility to figure it out, as opposed to taking that load on internally for them to be like, ah, let me figure out what we actually should be using. Do you think so, there's a passing of the buck situation? Yeah. Well, there's two answers to that. The first answer, the first answer is if they're employees and I'm the manager, then that's my responsibility to reach right, out to Sean right. and figure out what to do. If they're a contractor, then it's up to the contractor, the owner of the contract cleaning company to reach out to Sean and to figure out what to do. There's a very clear delineation there of what needs to, of who can do what. Yeah. And I guess it's a clear delineation because that's the sort of the crux of my contractor versus employee question. Is there, is that a very gray area or is it very clear that if they're a contractor, I can't tell them what to do or how to do their job. If they're an employee, that's where it's my responsibility to help them do their job. So as an employee, I can be more, I'll use the, I, as an employee, I, I can be more directive in what they do and how they do it. Mm-hmm. As a contractor, I can say, this is what the finished product looks like. This is what I need it. This is when I need it and how I need it and when I need it and what it should look like when it's done. I can't say you, when you're cleaning this house, you have to use this product. I can say, I've learned that in the, from history that there, this product and this product damages the surface in this house. So you can't use those. I can't go to the contractor and say, you have to use these products. They bring their own products. And then I, if something is damaging, I say, you can't use that. I got you. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that's a good, a lot of training with independent contractors, especially down in Florida, they're huge for having independent contractors, but I'll be asked from the property managers to come in and do an education piece for their contractors. So again, it's just training, education, training. Yeah, right on. The uh, the question about like property damage or like you were saying a second ago, Dark, this particular chemical damages 
the surface makes me think about safety. So you were even touching on it a minute ago, Sean, with COVID, the full body suits, stuff like that. How much of that is layered into this whole process? So whether they're an employee or a contractor, how do we make sure that the professional is safe doing this job? I think I saw, I actually walked in one of your sessions, Derek, I was looking for a different one and you were like talking about cleaning up blood and things like that, which I'm sure does happen at a previous VRMA event. But yeah, what's the What's like the what's the rule on safety? How do you guys break that down between? You just sit around to find out. You turn around and left. Yeah, that's I mean, you you see, you don't know, you don't know me that well, Derek. But I don't do well with blood or guts or uh, I can tell you a story (laughs) one time. It's not my stuff. It's not my thing. But no, yeah, I would love to hear about that, the safety side of it. Both, I guess, what people might encounter, which is some things you may not want to encounter, but you might encounter them, and then also for the professional on the cleaning side, and then also the actual hazardous material they might be having to deal with. You want to go, Sean? You want me to go? As as far as safety, we've always implemented safety, the safety data sheets, understanding the ingredients in our chemicals and what happens if somebody does get it in their eye. Your safety data sheet explains flush your eye out for 15 minutes with water, or if you drink it on accident, don't ingest, don't drink milk or just dilute it with water. And also as your PE, your protective gear that you need to wear, do you wear gloves? Do you wear goggles? So all those things are on the safety data sheets to try to help keep us all safe. And I know a lot of people in the industry hate using gloves. But for certain chemicals, you really do. Sean, you mentioned the, the safety data sheets, and obviously that is a requirement that my guess is most managers are following. But is there some sort of required training, especially to your point about the turnover in the industry? How do we get these employees or contractors trained year after year if there is such a high turnover? It's an ongoing process. Like now, they once the season, is, we're in go time right now. So they should, months ago, have a good chemical chemistry training education. Here's the cleaning products we're using. Here's our safety data sheet book, which they should have up in their, the warehouse or any operations area somewhere. And it's, yeah, it's left up to us as managers to bring in somebody like me or to ha- make sure they're educating their staff that's going out there cleaning. But no regulation and no one coming behind to make sure it happens. It's really up to the manager. Well, yeah. so you got health departments and EPAs, for the most part, we don't really see them in this industry. So it's almost left up to us as individuals. Yeah. From an OSHA perspective, there there are a couple of things that we have to do. One of them is we have to talk about the hazardous communication document, which outlines and has a list of the cleaning products. And then who is responsible for the safety and talking about that. We also have a bloodborne pathogen policy that we have to talk about and training that we have to provide. And then, as Sean mentioned, there, there's others, some are state-specific, some are county-specific. And so we have to make sure that, again, no one's going to come in and ask those questions until it's too late, because sure. there's already another reason that they're there. And so then they ask these other questions and say, are you doing these things? So yeah, so that's the advantage of the vacational housekeeper professionals. That's the advantage of some of these other associations to to bring together what we're doing and so we can and then the podcast that you guys were doing now for Sean to talk about that and to say hey here are some things to consider and to know so we can be that because no one when you're doing business 101 no one sits down and says don't forget to look into OSHA don't forget to do some of these things and because it becomes so specific and so nuanced that you just have to learn it because you're in the industry like a lot of things, you have to maybe even feel some pain too to actually learn it. Maybe you have something bad happen in a turnover or in a clean or something, some issue pops up and then you deal with it in that way. We had a fun question on the outline I wanted to get to. What are some pet peeves, Dirk, that you would have in the industry about how people deal with the professionals and the process? You've touched on a few things so far in our conversation, pay, the mindset of the, that professional, things like that, but anything else we didn't touch on that's we can give a platform to? Yeah, we take, our lefts, we take ourselves too seriously. We're so focused on the running of the engine that we forget to enjoy the ride. 
every I'm an advocate that that we should celebrate the successes we have. We should have a gold, a spray painted golden toilet brush or a spray painted golden toilet plunger. We should we should even have a poop hat award for some reason to have some fun with it. We should just we should celebrate the work that our cleaning professionals do. They are so looked down upon and they are so distraught sometimes and they're just doing the best they can. And there is no reason that when they show up to work and they're picking up four 35 pound bags to go clean a house that we can't celebrate and we can't enjoy the opportunities that we have to be here. Now, make no mistake. We're, we're reporting this on Friday before Memorial Day. Come Monday and Tuesday next week, all the properties are going to have to be turned and there's a lot of work to be done. At the same time, we can smile, we can laugh, we can joke, and we can have a great time as we go about doing that work. Just, my, my grandpa, yeah, my grandpa would say something like, Dirk, don't take life too seriously. No one gets out alive anyways. No, <laughs> you know, it does. No one does. Right? <laughs> get out, for sure. We're all headed to that great mansion in the sky somewhere. Some of us will <laughs> have all our different responsibilities. I'll probably be up there moving chairs and cleaning windows. <laughs> so Dirk, fr- fresh oh, off fun. vacation. And uh, I, my my welcome into the industry was starting in cleaning and maintenance. So when I stay at a place, I may, I leave it for the cleaners because I, I actually work next to cleaners. I believe in sleeves up and working alongside of them. So I leave that place ready for them. One of the things that I struggled with on this, and now this will be the third time that I've had this struggle, is trash, right? So I love the can mon- monkey concept, right? And the fact that they're getting it off the property out to the curb and getting it handled. But here's one of the things that I'm wondering if there's a standard for is, do you believe that there's a standard for the number of trash cans, exterior trash cans needed on a property? This has nothing to do with my specific stay, right? I'm not pointing any fingers, but ultimately we're in a large house but there's a ton of us, right? And we were going through trash bags at a rate that I don't even understand how we were going through that many trash bags and filling trash cans. But what we kept doing is it was only one can and we kept running out of place to put the trash. So then became the stacking in the garage. And then we check out on Saturday, trash pickup isn't until Monday. So now I'm walking away feeling guilty because now we've got a full trash can out in the front and then we've got four bags of trash in the garage. And I know this is all built on, we've built a ton of if and then scenarios and, and occupancy equals this. Do you know if anyone's put together anything on something as simple as the exterior trash can at this point? Is there a magic number? I'm not aware of one. Here's what I do know. I do know that when people are on vacation, they're buying stuff in bulk <laughs> and they're buying things in large containers and there's lots of people and so forth. I would, is the number one and again, depends on the size of trash can. So there's a lot of variables, as you mentioned. Is it one can per bedroom or is it one can per two bedrooms? I think that be trying to, from a guest service perspective, the can, the trash bags you left in the garage and by the next to the can, someone's going to have to come by, put it in a pickup truck and take it away. So now I've increased my labor to take and address that. Why not just figure out a way to do it, to pick it up during the stay and have a guest interaction? That's one of the things that I do now where I'm at is we pick the trash up every other day, every third day, depending on the stay. And if we see the guests, they're taught to interact and say hello and how is everything and then put it in the put it in the truck and, and move on. There's an opportunity here to take trash and make it golden and make it a service opportunity. Again, that there's cost, there's labor, there's all those things attached to it. At the same time, it's how do we distinguish ourselves as a professionally managed company and how do we provide outstanding service to our guests and to our homeowners. Imagine to a homeowner, yeah, I pick up the trash to make sure it doesn't stick around and rodents are kept to a minimum. 
Uh, mm. There's a cost to that. This is why we do it. Here's the photos of the rodents that are coming into the trash. Here's why we do this and educate both sides. And this is why we do what we do. So I love that example, Dirk. And we might have to put a pin in that discussion and bring you back to have some more discussion around how do we have guest interactions with operations? I think that, and we've touched on where we see some changes in the industry. And I think that's one of those areas. It's been one that's been coming for a long time with keyless access and with people not doing check-ins at the office. I think we're reducing our number of guest interactions, but I love the way you thought of that. You think about picking up trash as this opportunity to interact with the guests. It's a positive. It's not a negative. That's, I think it's really powerful. And I think that is where this industry is heading. It's that hospitality touch. It's that interaction with the guests. How can we create more of that? And I love the way that you're thinking about that. Well, thank you. It's Ray, you talk about the electronic locks. Now who's the guest service agent? What's the cleaning professional? Right. It's the maintenance tech. It's those are the individuals that the guests are now interacting with because they're not coming to the front desk. And so finding a way to give them the customer service skills, to give someone who has English as a second or third language, the confidence to stand in front of a guest and to be able to say something, or at a minimum, hand them a card that says, English is my second language, call this number, they can help you, as opposed to them just staring blank face at the individual that's asking these questions and the person's expecting them to respond in English when, I mean, they they can speak maybe 15 words. I think that's a huge opportunity. We'll need to dig into that in, a, in another one because I know we're getting to the end of this, but I think that is a huge opportunity. I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, for sure. Sean, I guess I want to give you the same platform. Any sort of pet peeves or things that you think we could be continuing working on and this, things to look out for that we should be aware of as we proceed from the chemical side of things? It's just choosing the right product. I'll get some people complaining at certain things. The Blackfoot's a huge problem in our industry. It's where people are using the wrong products for the floors. They're either using a Fabuloso, which is a neutral product, but there's so much soap and fragrance in that product that they overuse it and it makes the floor sticky. That's one of my biggest pet peeves is just walking into a property when they're having issues and concerns. And again, it's just using the wrong product. It's just, wow, why are you doing that? (laughs) You're wasting your time. Yeah. I think it's ignorance. So I think to our earlier commentary about education, hopefully this show did a good job of educating folks. And I do think we have to put a bow on this one. Anything else, Adam, you want to tie in here to weave us into the next one? Or Yeah. I'd love to just get one last input from Dirk and Sean around that training side of things. And a lot of times I try to leave this thinking about what is the future, what's coming, or what are some good action items? And I think we touched on some good action items throughout the discussion, but I'm curious about your mindset as you think about what's coming. And I think it's around that training Are you finding that you're having more focus with managers in the industry as a whole that is looking at VRHP or is looking at these training opportunities and taking advantage of them? It feels to me, I can remember 10, 15 years ago where marketing was the only thing we talked about at these shows, but it feels like the pendulum has swung towards operation, but are we truly giving housekeeping enough focus or is there room for opportunity to improve that? Oh, can I answer this question first, Sean? (laughs) I can answer this one first. The short answer is no, we're not. Yeah. We're not. And part of that is because housekeeping is looked at as a cost center, as opposed to a service and a break-even center. It's also, there's so much churn from the cleaning professional side. Some of them may only work for a season. So why am I going to spend the time and effort to put into this? The answer is yes, you do it. You just may do it in a compressed way to get that seasonal cleaner up to your standard. The standard is the standard. If Adam's been a cleaner for 
15 years and I'm a brand new cleaner, the, the standard doesn't change. The speed and the ability to get to that standard is certainly different between a 15-year veteran and a brand new cleaner for sure. The standard's the standard. How do we interact with guests? How do we interact with our coworkers? How do we interact with the homeowners? I mean, that there's just a standard. I don't think we give that enough time and credence because we're so busy focusing on got to turn the properties, got to turn the property. Yeah, we do. At the same time, there's a time and a place to pause and let's work on the business and not uh, not in the business. There's my soapbox. I, I agree with it. And if you think about what we were just talking about, how the front line is now the guest experience, that lays a lot of credence as to what you're saying there, Dirk. We should really be focusing on how that can be a fantastic frontline experience. I've been told that by clients before, and I've seen it actually personally, which is that the sometimes it's the maintenance person, but it certainly could be the cleaning professional is the only person, in fact, that they actually interact with from the company. I think that's very common. So yeah, having those discussions, I think is definitely worth it. And Dirk, maybe we bring you back on down the road to discuss more of that side of it. Obviously there's a, like you said, there's a mechanics piece to what we're talking about here today, what to use, what not to use, how to do certain things. But then there's also the um, operational element of what, yeah, what the guest actually expects, what they can get and how to make this more of a positive discussion and a positive opportunity for, for people, for sure. Sean, how about you? From a chemistry perspective, your name is the one that comes up all the time. Whenever chemicals come up in this industry, it seems to go back to Sean. But I know that Sean can't educate the entire industry. So what are your thoughts? Is there enough education? Is there room for more? How do you get your message out there? It's just, it's ongoing. We need to do it every three months, once a quarter. Uh, we start reaching out to people come January, February. How can we help train? We're here to help you towards the end of the season. I just did a training class at our plant two weeks ago and invited folks from the Panhandle all the way down to Gulf Shores and Orange Beach to come up and just have a little lunch and learn is what I did. And I got some great feedback where I'm probably going to do another one in the fall down here in Orange Beach. And we're always stressing within our vacation rental, either on LinkedIn or wherever, it seems to be a good community there for us. But just, we're here, we are. Please use us. We want y'all to reach out and look to us to help you educate and train your staff to go over some safety issues and concerns because we are the housekeepers of the first impression. When they unlock that door, walk in that door for the first time, if there's some dog hair or a weird smell, it just sets them off the entire walk-in. So then they're going to be complaining about everything. I always do little tricks, maybe have a little nice fragrance or deodorizer, nothing too crazy because fragrances can appeal to different people. But as they walk in that property, just a nice, clean, fresh smell always sets the standard like they've done a good job. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you guys. Really, Sean, Dirk, we really appreciate you guys coming on and educating people who listen to the show about this topic. I think this has been a great one for both like the discussion part of it. Hey, here's things that we could be doing differently, as well as practical examples of here's what you could be doing a little bit better. So we really appreciate it. We'll put links in the show notes to like your LinkedIn profile so people can kind of check out more of what you guys are doing. Reach out to your companies, respective organizations, if that makes the most sense for them. We always ask for re reviews at the end. So it would make us happy. It would be like, you know, it would be the equivalent of us seeing a really clean property for us to see more reviews. So if you have a moment, go to your podcast app of choice, drop a review in there. We really greatly appreciate it. Otherwise, uh, thanks so much. And we will catch you on the next episode.